0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated US-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.
1: Hello, Jamie here. If you've been enjoying the podcast and want to show your support, I have a brand new Patreon page and signing up will grant you access to the Right and Wrong Discord server, where you can interact directly with many of the authors, agents and editors who have been guests on the show. You can also interact with me and see what guests are coming up so you could maybe suggest questions that I could ask them. Thanks again for listening and I really do appreciate any and all support that you guys give me for the podcast. Let's get back to it.
2: So our podcast is called Right and Wrong.
1: are these your notes?
2: These,
1: <laughs> are these your notes about what we're going to say? Um, anything. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my Probably. God, so many. <laughs> it
2: was perfect.
1: What's she talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a
2: spicy question.
3: I love it. <laughs>
1: this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. i <laughs> heard it here first. We're going say- <laughs> to Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined by an award-winning literary fiction writer whose highly anticipated debut novel, One Small Voice, is out February 23rd. It's Shantanu Bhattacharya. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. I can only imagine, um, so close now to the release date, that uh, this must be such an exciting time period for you with one small voice just coming out within a few weeks. How are you feeling about it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is it is exciting. It's also nerve-wracking. Um, you know, I'd say it goes both ways and it, it kind of, you know, one moment I'm feeling high because somebody's posted a great review of the book. Another moment um, I'm feeling very low because I didn't make it to one of the many lists. Come out at especially the end of the year. There were all these lists, like books to, books to look out for in twenty twenty three. Uh, and every time I wouldn't see one small voice on it, my heart would sink. Uh, then every time I would see it on a list, my heart would soar. So yeah, it's multiple personalities going on. <laughs> I was going to say it sounds sounds
1: wild being in your head right now. <laughs> Does it feel like it's been a long journey, like a long lead up up to this point?
2: It has because, I mean, the book deal happened in October 2021. Uh Um, So, yeah, it's been very long. What's that, like 16, 17 months? Um, And I keep joking that uh, because the release is in February. I mean, this is the most happening February I've ever had. Like nothing happens in February, right? (laughs) You go through Christmas and then there's this lull and then there's winter. and you're all waiting for spring and Easter and all of that. And this is like the most exciting February I've ever had. But it's, it's been a long lead up because I've been writing this novel for so long. Um, kind of the idea has been in my mind for the last 10 years. Um, and then I've been kind of actually properly writing it for the last five, almost, like, yeah, more than five years now. So, okay. yeah, it's been a long time and it's time not for this to kind of go out into the world and for me to be done with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see what you need like a catharsis on this yeah, whole. Like, yeah,
2: totally. Um, I need to move on to other things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and for everyone listening, um, would you mind giving us a sort of whistle stop pitch of what the what the book One Small Voices is, is all about?
2: Absolutely. So, One Small Voice is what I call the modern Indian millennial novel. Um, it is set in contemporary India, and it is the coming of age story of a young man. Um, the story starts in the early 1990s when Shubhankar, uh, aka Shabby, uh, the protagonist, he is 10 years old and um, he witnesses an act of mob violence. He's very scarred by it, but he also realizes, for various reasons, that he can't talk about it um, to his family and can't share can, can kind of can't yeah can't share it with his parents with his brother. So he keeps it all bottled up. The story then follows him for the next 25 years. Um, and he's growing up in a uh, north Indian city of Lucknow but then when he grows up he moves to the big city of Mumbai for work so on the one hand it is him trying to find a way out of this trauma but on the other hand it's also him growing up and experiencing life and you know moving moving out of his uh, parents home making friends uh exploring the big city exploring sexuality all of that stuff um and uh, and yeah and then finally i guess like Yeah, well, I won't tell you what happens in the end, but but essentially, it's the millennial experience in contemporary India and how young people are kind of responding to what's happening around them and trying to trying to find a place for themselves in the country.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fascinating coming of age story, especially for someone who's who's uh, not from India or like been to India. So it's like a whole. For me, reading it, it was a whole new area. Like that was just very enlightening to me. Thank you. Your, your writing is so, there's something so unique about it. And I couldn't quite pinpoint what it was, but it feels so uh, thoughtful and at the same time thought provoking. Are you the sort of author that plans everything out very meticulously?
2: Yes and no. I think I planned the story out in the sense that when, I, when the story came to me, I knew what happens at the start and I knew what happens in the middle. Um, so everything in between, I needed to kind of find a way to... And there was this whole kind of cast of characters who started coming in. It was initially just the protagonist, Shabby that I started writing with. But then you, know, you start asking yourself questions. Um, where is he situated? What's his home? What, what does his home look like? What language do they speak? What food do they eat? Does he have parents? Does he have siblings? Does he have grandparents? What about his friends? And so this kind of whole cast of characters started building, and I really started you kind know, of enjoying... Spending time with them and building them and weaving them into the story. But I had to find a way to take that story from the first kind of what happens at the start, the inciting incident, to what happens in the middle of the novel. Um, And that, you know, that needed some planning because it it was just, you know, a lot of people trying to get from point A to point B. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I was like, okay, when does this person come in? When does, you know, there was, I worked in some kind of, cause and effect as well. You know, this happens, therefore this happens, therefore this happens. So there was some planning involved in that. Um, but it, it was kind of in my head, it was more organic. It wasn't like I was I was doing it on an Excel sheet or on a whiteboard or something. It was more just kind of me trying to tell the story to myself first before I put it on a page.
1: Oh, okay. So you, you, you plan it, but in a sort of cerebral way, as opposed to physically putting it down, like mapping it out and charting it.
2: Yeah, no, there's a lot that goes on in my head, and so the, the writing process is actually for me. It's I, mean, I, I need to I need to work on it because you know I I, I look at other people talking about um, making notes copiously or leaving voice messages to themselves, and I rely a lot on my memory. Um, and I do have kind of quite a good memory, but I think I rely a lot on my memory and my brain does a lot of the work. Uh, and I have very few kind of references, very few. You know, notebooks or, um, or short pieces that I write. Like some people write character sketches. Some people would write like a, a, a synopsis of a chapter before they write the actual chapter. I do none of that. So it's all kind of building in my head. Uh, and I wait until I feel prepared to write. And when I write, I'm quite happy with what comes out. Um, okay. Which is kind of a you know an interesting process, but it also puts a lot of pressure on my brain. And so for the time that I'm writing... Um, a novel, I'm not sleeping very well because my brain's always working overtime. So so yeah, that it, it's it's very it, it is more cerebral than kind of actual physical planning. Uh, but I have to say that when I so the, the the novel, the first couple of drafts were written in uh in a linear fashion. So it kind of starts at the start, ends at the end. But then at some point I decided and there was also feedback from my agent, um that It would be more interesting if people knew what you know what they were reading towards, that there is something that happens later in the book. Um, and it would just make it more interesting if there was a lead up to it. And that kind of structural edit then I did quite physically. So I actually had like posted notes on a wall and I moved them around okay. quite a bit. Yeah. And it was fun. Okay. I, I actually kept it, we moved flats now, but I, I kept that until the very end, until like the last day we moved. Um that whole like like wall art of post-it notes with chapter names.
1: <laughs> I hope you took a picture of it to memorialize it. There is, yeah, there is Yeah, there
2: is a picture. <laughs> on social media actually if anyone's interested. Oh amazing. Different colored post-it notes of it because it's it's a uh, it's, uh, it's almost like three decades. So you know, I, I think I had like four different colours for four different kind of periods of the novel and so on. Yeah. It was interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well I would say, um, and this is there's probably a wider context to this but i think it's stephen king in one of his writing books where he says that he he doesn't believe in taking notes because if you need to be reminded of something it's not a good enough idea to go into your book so
2: you might be onto something with that <laughs> yeah i know that's interesting even though i feel like um uh, like a novel contains a lot right i mean a novel is such a kind of um, melting pot of so many different ideas yeah. and observations and things people might have told you, things you might have seen many years ago, you know, like um, a smell, a song, a reference to something. And if you aren't writing all of these down, you might be missing out on some some of those little things that could make a real difference to the reading experience. So yeah, no, I, I would definitely want to kind of move to a Process which, <laughs> Be more with it. which is better for my overworked brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, but I haven't, I haven't been successful at all. It's still, I, I rely a lot on my memory and my brain.
1: Well, am I right in thinking that it's a, a two or a three book contract that you signed with Penguin? No, it's a, it's it's a one book. Oh, it's it just was, a one book. Uh, yeah, it okay. was a Yeah, because I was, uh, I, what I find from a lot of authors is they'll talk about the if they have like a multi book contract or if they just pick up another contract and now. Instead of the first book where you had your 10 years ruminating, five years writing period, when you're on contract, it's now uh, you have, you know, a year to write this book and then we're going to edit it for a year. And that's all you've got. And that's a kind of, that kind of will force an, an author into a kind of completely different way of writing and approaching and constructing the novel.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. In fact, one of the things, because I did have an idea for my second novel, but one of the things they said, and which I completely agree with now, that like the more we get closer to publication, I see why they said it. Um, they said, you know, we don't do double contracts because um, so much goes into planning and editing and promoting a book. That, you know, kind of putting your money on something in the future, you don't know when it's coming, you don't yeah. know what the What the market will be like, what the readership will be like, you don't know what the content of that book will be. Um, Yeah, it's just too much of this, you know, planning ahead. And it just puts under pressure both on the publisher and the author to come up with something just to, you know, fulfill the contract. Um, I think just from kind of an artist point of view, you know, if, if the next novel kind of comes to me 10 years later, that is fine. And there are, there are novelists that I really respect who have actually written like, a novel every 10 years. The book winner last year, Shehant Karuna he wrote, you know, his his two novels were um, 10 years apart. Another novelist I really respect, uh, Sitsi Dangaremba, um, she's written three novels and each of them is almost, I think, like 10 years apart. So I almost respect the fact that, you know, they write something when it comes to them, when they have a story to tell instead of trying to be on this, you know, be a writing machine and trying to churn out novels every couple of years. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was actually a, a sensible thing to do uh, for Penguin. And of course, like at that point, I would have loved to do a Book Deal, but now I see how mm-hmm. it just wouldn't have been a good idea for either party.
1: Yeah. And as you say, it gives you that more kind of freedom and comfort to do what yeah. you want to do. And I think it's also, um, in many ways, genre uh, quite genre-specific. As a literary fiction author, it's yeah. mu- I think it's much more common for literary fiction to come out few and far between because I think so much goes into – there, there's just a lot more th- – I wouldn't say more thought, but there's there's lots of focus on the precision of words and the, and the choices that are made and things like that versus a genre like um, crime, which has its sort of procedural engine yeah. – set up already and it's about yeah. kind of adding new fun ways to do it but putting out as much as Yeah, you, can. you
2: have you have your detective set up and then you're yeah. just like you know solving cases or whatever. Uh, or in fantasy you have your universe set up. And you have uh you have kind of a captive audience for that universe. So yeah, you know, then you can start writing stories set in that universe. But for literary fiction, I mean, who knows what the next book from a certain author will be, right? It could just go any direction. Yeah. Um yeah. So it they should be allowed that time too.
1: <laughs> cut, cut literary fiction authors some slack, everyone.
2: <laughs>
1: and even so, before this book, you have had a number of um, published shorts, award-winning shorts, I should say. Um, and is writing something that you've you've always done that you've always wanted to do?
2: Well, I've always wanted to do, but not something I've always done. Um, but I think I started writing. Well, so I, I used to write as a child, and I used to read, and I think now, looking back, I always had this pension for storytelling. You know, I was kind of the guy who everyone would wait for to tell the story, or you know, would hand over the story to me. It's like, now you tell the story because now you can do it. But I grew up in in times where you kind of art wasn't prioritized um, in our school or in the kind of social setting that I grew up in. Um, everything was very geared towards employment you know you have to you have to do your graduation and you have to get a job and i also come from a background where there was you know we weren't we weren't poor but we weren't rich either so you know once you grow up you have to learn how to pay your bills there is no um there's no question
3: what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify
2: and this was also a time in India, and I think it still is, but it might have changed a little bit, where, you know, engineering was the answer to everything. Everyone, these American multinational companies had all set up in India, set up shop in India, and they were, um, there were all these IT jobs. And, you know, that just seemed like the most lucrative thing to do. So when I was growing up and my university, so I studied engineering, and then I worked as a software engineer for a few years. And you know that period of time I wasn't writing at all. I think it was I was still reading, but writing was completely out of my life. It's only after I started working that you know somehow um and I don't know what the trigger was, but I started writing a few short stories here and there um and that's how it picked up again
1: okay and y- you grew up in India, like you mentioned, yeah. but then you came to the u k and studied at uh Oxford, was it?
2: yeah that was seven years ago, so I came, and, um, yeah I came quite grown up like I didn't come here as a yeah yeah, yeah yeah as a young person,
1: and then you spent some time in Singapore,
2: yes, that was before yeah so i I basically grew up in India and then I went to Singapore to study um and then I worked there for a few years, then I moved back to India, lived there for a few years and then moved to the UK.
1: oh okay, so I'm Very aware that most of the uh, books that I that I read are written in English for English speakers. Other than dipping into things like The Alchemist or or similar ones on occasion, I'm really not that exposed to um, uh, international storytelling. During your kind of travels and stays around the world, have you read lots by like local authors?
2: Yeah, in fact, I. I just recently um, set up a list of ten books on bookshop dot org, which, by the way, everyone should check out. Yeah. Um, that, that inspired and influenced my writing um, of One Small Voice. Oh. And um, when I looked at that list, and I wasn't like actively thinking about you know demographic or background of authors when I was setting that list up, but when I looked at that list, I think seven out of ten uh, authors of color from you know non western parts of the world mm-hmm. um so i think i have you know it it's been a it's been a very major influence reading reading authors like mohsin hamid from pakistan reading tsedzi dangaremba chimamanda ngozi adichi um and authors yeah writing from the from the asian kind of south asian subcontinent from east asia from africa from south america um, and there is always that something, and even though these places are all all kind of wildly different, there is something about reading these books that feels feels closer to my experience. Um, I think that's one part of it, but there's also the other part where I feel like I feel like if these people, you know if these people dared to write because there there still aren't that many of us um, mm-hmm. in the publishing industry. It's still predominantly white authors and Western stories. Um, so it almost like inspired me to think that if if these people could write and if these people could be published and read widely, then maybe there is that 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 space for stories like ours could kind of you know it's it, it's there and it could grow. there's enough room for it to expand.
1: Yeah, and I think, but when the way I described your writing earlier, when I said that it, there's something sort of unique about it that I can't put my finger on, I think part of that might be to do with the fact that you have experienced these you have much more experience with um writing outside of you know just classical western styles than I do and do do you think that you know reading sort of internationally like that has affected your own writing oh yeah for sure
2: i mean i i i i was very aware that whatever i wanted to write had to be kind of a complete original so you know, anything you spot in there that reminds me of you of somebody else is purely yeah. kind of, you know, unintentional and inspirations <laughs> that kind of you know it's, it's seep into people's people's writing, especially I think a first novel would have would have kind of inspirations from all over. But I think it's just the fact that English as a language is a global language. Mm-hmm. Um, it is spoken by everyone, it is spoken across the world, but it is also spoken in very different ways and you know, each region, each country, even across Indian subcontinent, uh, <clears throat> the accents that you get, the kind of inflections you get in English are very different, We're also very inherently kind of multilingual. So we might start a sentence in English and then if we, you know, if, if we're not able to fully express ourselves, we might slip into Hindi or my mother tongue Bengali. And it's like when, when my sister and I talk, we're just kind of, you know, jumping across three different languages very, yeah. very easily. And uh, and yeah, I wanted to bring that that sort of flavor to the book as well, especially in the conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of dialogue, and there are a lot of characters. And I wanted to make sure that you know when they speak, uh, A, that you know they're almost kind of it's it's, it's discernible. It's you know you can tell that this is this character speaking. So they needed each person needed to have their kind of unique voice, uh, but also the way they would speak would reflect that kind of multilingualism of of contemporary India.
1: I love that. That's, uh, that's great. And it really does, it really does, um, come through in the book, uh, going Thank back you. a little bit to, uh, your, when we were talking about your, when you started writing and you started writing the the short stories and things like that, at what point in that process did you, did you, something sort of click in you and, and you, you thought, okay, I, I do want to write something bigger than this. I do want to sort of see how far my writing can go and take it to the next level and get published.
2: So this is going to sound presumptuous, but I was always <laughs> writing to get published. Okay, um, yeah, I was like that was definitely the goal. I was—I'm mm-hmm. not the kind of writer who kind of just writes away on their own. And this—and I've met over over the last few years now—I've come into contact with so many different writers and poets, and there's so many people who write absolutely brilliantly with no ambition whatsoever, no intention of ever putting their work out there. They're just purely doing this for themselves. Yeah. Um and I'm fascinated by it and I have a lot of respect for it, you know, art created for the sake of art and you know, it's almost like a creative output that you're just doing for yourself. Um, but I, I, I was very different. I was like in two bit published. I knew that if I was going to put all this effort in and it was a lot of effort because I um, you know, I, I was working full time throughout, um and I'm I work full time even now. Um and I was doing a master's degree and moving countries and and all of that, finding a job, selling, you know, sorting out piece of stuff. So writing was like so much effort that I was like, if this doesn't kind of result in something concrete, then I don't know how to motivate myself. Um, so I guess that was always the case that I, I I knew that you know there had to be there had to be a book or something at the end of this. Um, also, I think like I'm the kind of writer who writes to be read. I think there are people who write for themselves and then there are people who write to be read or artists who kind of create art to be consumed by others and that's how they get their energy um you know painters hope that their paintings would be in galleries and movie makers make films so that they can be screened and audiences will come and watch i think there's a lot a lot of energy some artists get from from con- con- like from yeah consumers and how they're consuming the art and you know what they're thinking the kind of Conversations that there are yeah. is provoking, um, and I am th- I'm definitely in that category. But when this idea for the novel came to me, I um, I don't know if it was big or small. It was just an idea, and I just started writing. So I don't I, I, I don't think there was a point where I was like, "Oh, let's do something big now." Mm-hmm. Um, it was just more right. This is a cool idea, and in fact, the first. The first, you know, draft it wasn't really a full draft, but I wrote about twenty five thousand words, and I wasn't happy. This was ten years ago, I was just not happy by what it, you know, how it was reading and what was coming out, and I put it away. Um, and back then, I didn't think that the idea had any legs. It's only when I picked this up, like five years later, um, yeah. that I was like, okay, I feel more prepared now. Um, you know, I feel I feel like I have more confidence to write this story.
1: Well, that's interesting. That's, I mean, it's it's definitely true. I'd not really thought about it in those times before where a lot of art is self-contained and for the artist. And then there's other forms of art where part of the art is almost the interaction. And something beautiful about reading, which I talk about a lot, is the reading with a book is, is almost a collaborative thing. It's almost a collaboration between the author and the reader and like their imaginations sort of combined
2: in a way. Yeah. I think it's a it, it's something that I'm kind of working through in my own head because I mean, as my uh, you know it's time for the book to come out into the world. and I think there are questions um, I'm asking myself as to how attached do I stay to the book? Um, you know, it will always be my creation, but you know, once it goes out into the world, you kind of have to find a way to detach yourself because now you've you've put these the story and these characters in the hands of others. Yeah. And they will have their own opinions, and they will interpret it the way they want to you know their own life experiences will influence what they think about the book um yeah, so I think there's this at when I was writing it, I was actually coaching myself very consciously to not think of any particular kind of reader um mm-hmm. because to me like i that that would just that would just mean that I would be writing gimmicky stuff, knowing that you know this is what's working. Um everyone seems to like crime, so let's put some crime in, <laughs> yeah you know, um, that kind of thing, or you know pe- people when they read books from India, maybe this is what they're expecting. So let's put some stereotypes in. and I was constantly coaching myself to not do that. So the writing of it was actually very personal and it was just like literally me and the page um but I would love for people to read it and also kind of, you know, go through this experience with me and interact with the with the content. So I think artists go through this weird kind of it's almost like a a bit of a bipolar experience where on the one hand you create it solely because it's coming from within you and you're writing for yourself, but it's also not complete without it going out into the world and doing something for people.
1: Yeah. No, that's a hundred percent true. I, I presumably you're working on or at least beginning to start conceptualizing something new, a new book um, with similar goals and aims. If you, When you do another book, is it going to be a similar kind of style, a sort of historical contemporary fiction?
2: Well, I'm working on two different ideas. so, okay. um, And they're both very different uh, to each other and very different from One Small Voice. Um, and I actually like that. I like the fact that uh, both the ideas that have come to me and that have excited me are so wildly different. And I think, I, you know, if I do kind of start building a body of work and have, uh, have a writing career, I'd like to produce work that that's quite different to each other. And, you know, I don't want to be uh, writing the same kind of stuff in different garbs over and over again. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that keeps things exciting. I, when I, uh, when I look at a blank page, you um, you know, in, in spite of the fact that I've gone through seven drafts of a novel that is going to be published, even today when I uh, look at a blank page, I'm very daunted, and I'm still a first timer. Um, you know, wondering how to put my ideas into words and how it will look, and very very nervous. And that's a good feeling, you know, that that, that kind of knot in your stomach is a good feeling. I think. Yeah, um, it keeps you on your toes, and it keeps you it keeps your creative juices flowing.
1: Exactly, keeps you humble as well. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that brings us to um, what is always the the final question of every episode, which is, Shantanu, uh, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would it be?
2: This is very interesting. Um, <laughs> because I mean, I honestly can't can't imagine myself being stranded on a desert island. I really hope that never happens because I am. <laughs> I get a lot of energy from people around me, and you know I'm a very talkative person. Um, I love talking to people. I love listening to people. I'm generally interested in you know I, I, I socialize a lot, um, so that would be an absolute nightmare. I don't think I'd have to. Uh, I'd be in a place to read a book. Like I'd not be in a mental state to sit and read a book okay. at leisure. <laughs> um, but one book that I think I absolutely love and I want to reread, so maybe I'll, yeah, I'll take books that I want to reread because, you know, because I never go back and reread. I never have the time. My TBR is just, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just unmanageable. <laughs> yeah. But one book I do want to reread is a um, book called The Friend by Sigrid Nadez, and it's about... Um, Uh, It's about a writer in New York and uh, she uh, and her friend who was also a writer uh, has just committed suicide. And the friend's wife um, has given her his dog. So she's kind of inherited her friend's dog after the friend has passed away. Uh, And the dog and herself, like both of them, are in deep grief uh, because of the passing away of this friend who was very special to both of them. Uh, And they're just kind of they're just coexisting um, and working their way through this grief, And it's a very beautiful book, but I think there's also, you know, that kind of that kind of isolation maybe would lend itself well to a desert island. <laughs> so maybe I'll take that. Yeah. I you don't want relate. to read a book with a lot of people and happiness because I, mean, I, I don't know what to do with all this energy. There's no one around
1: me. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, a, very, a, a clever decision given you know how you'd be in that situation.
2: <laughs> yeah, very distressed.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Shantanu, for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience and telling us all about the uh, the new book. I'm really excited for, for, uh, for the world to get their hands on it. It's been great chatting. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. And um, for everyone listening, if you want to keep up with what uh, Shantanu is doing, you can follow him on Twitter at Shantanu underscore BX. That's S-A-N-T-A-N-U underscore BX. One Small Voice is out February, February 23rd, which has already passed, so you can go and get it right now. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And if you're after some more lighthearted, bookish story discussions, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Sean Tanu and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help.